0: But today we are going to get um, right into our message. We've got quite a bit to to get into, and so I don't want to waste any time in diving in. And right out of the gate, I'm going to tell you what my title, what my topic is that I want to spend a few minutes on today, and that is discipline of the mind. All right. I want to talk about this subject for a little while, discipline of the mind, because This is something that has really been surrounding me in in a really prevalent way lately. It just—it seems like I'm telling you guys, everything that I study um, in my prayer time, everybody that I talk to, this is something that just continues to rise to the surface in my heart and in my mind. And one of the ways that that actually happened is a few weeks ago, we ended a series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And within that series, we actually talked quite a bit about this idea of discipline, right? We we talked about how we can be more disciplined in our actions. We talked about how we can be more disciplined in our practices. We talked about these spiritual formations that we can walk in that ultimately align us with Christ. But what we really didn't dig into very much was simply a discipline of the mind, how we can be more intentional, how we can be more wise, how we can be more controlled with our thoughts. And what's interesting is this is often what happens when it comes to this particular topic. We end up looking at so many other things and looking from so many other different angles that that we kind of just forget about our minds. We, We talk about our bodies and how we can physically be used by God. We talk about our spirits and kind of sometimes get a little too caught up with the unseen, ethereal aspects of this journey. We forget that that this is an all-inclusive thing. In other words, our minds, our bodies, and our spirits are not meant to be broken up into these different pieces and categories, but are actually created to work together in beautiful harmony for as long as we exist. And yet a lot of times we don't realize how important the mental aspect of this journey is. We don't realize how powerful a tool the mind is. We don't realize that it's ultimately given from God. We don't realize that it's a big part of his purpose and his design for us. In fact, let me show you a few scriptures that show this very clearly. And again, we talk a lot about faith and belief in the spirit, but watch how important the tangible mind is in this endeavor. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Oh, yeah. If you're seeking perfect peace, keep your mind on him. Romans seven twenty-five says, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Think about that. We often talk about how we can be of service to him. How can we serve him to the best of our ability? Paul here says, it begins with the mind the great commandment. Somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He responds this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about how powerful That is, You know, even the idea of repentance that we see over and over again in the New Testament, sometimes we actually mistake that for simple forgiveness. What that word literally means is to undergo a change of your mind. It's to to change your mind about someone, to change your mind about something. That is repentance. So when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Peter later repeats him on the day of Pentecost, what they're simply saying is, change your mind. Like like change your mind from fear to courage, right? Change your mind from hopeless to hopeful. Change your mind from doubt to belief. Change your mind. That's what repentance ultimately means. See, this is why Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Because what he's really trying to say is first and foremost, I want you to change your mind about who I am. I want you to, to see who I truly am. I want you to see what I've truly done for you. Change your mind. See, the mind is is that powerful, that that Jesus literally sees it as the bedrock of our relationship with him, that we would first simply change our minds about who he truly is. But then when you you study this topic in scripture, what you're going to quickly see is that this concept is almost always tied to one other particular subject, and that subject is truth. So so follow me here for a second. Meaning, as children of God, indwelled by the Spirit of Christ, the engine of our minds must ultimately be truth, just as he is truth. This is yet again another thing that we read quite often in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus describes himself this way, the way, the truth, and the life. The Apostle John says that he is full of grace and full of truth. In fact, it says a few other things in the gospel of John chapter eight, verse 31. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Think about how powerful that is. Jesus says this in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. It almost gets a little redundant at that point, right? Like like we get it. This is how important this is. It's the engine, the driving force of our minds, if indeed we are growing in Christlikeness. Now, if that is the case, if as Christ followers, the engine of our minds should be truth, what you can probably infer from that is that the greatest enemy of our minds is lies. This is the greatest enemy. This is what nudges us. This is what pushes us off track. In fact, this is where the battle is being waged in our minds. Let me give you a few examples of this as we read in scripture. And I wanna just say this real quick. I want you to really see how this is being described. Meaning, I don't want you to get too caught up in the imagery or maybe some preconceived notions. I want you to see the descriptive words that are being used to describe this. This is Jesus speaking in John eight forty four. He has some strong language you will see at the beginning. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. This is the important part. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse eight says, be clear-headed. Think about that, be clear-headed Keep alert for your accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. One last example, Revelation 12. And again, a lot of imagery going on here, but just listen to the words that are being described. Starting in verse nine, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, listen, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Yeah. Amen. Now, now let's pause here for a second, okay? Let's take a deep breath at this point. And let's talk about what exactly is being said here because I think we need to do our best to try to understand exactly what is happening. And so let's start with this. The two words translated in these verses as devil and Satan at the root, at the core of the Greek language are words that mean adversary, slanderer, and accuser. Listen closely to that. They are descriptive words meaning adversary, slanderer, an accuser. Now, why is that important to call out? Why is that important for us to know? Well, because it shows us that it's not so much about who might stand against us, but rather what might stand against us. This is a very important distinction that we need to make in our understanding. And let me maybe give you this analogy so you understand what I mean when I say that. Let's imagine that we are walking into a courtroom Okay, And for whatever reason, we are the defense attorney for some sort of trial that's taking place. Obviously, our goal is to win that particular trial. Now, here's the truth of the matter. To know who the prosecuting attorney is really isn't all that important. It really isn't all that valuable to us. In fact, we could go through that entire trial. We could win that trial and never even know the name of that particular individual. However, to know the strategy that he or she might take, to know the information that they might try to use against us, that is what matters to us. So here's why this is important, okay? Listen closely. Regardless of how you read these verses, in fact, regardless of what your theology is on this topic, here's what you ultimately need to know. That which is in opposition to you will almost always come in the form of lies, deception, and accusations, In fact, if you've ever wondered to yourself, where am I most vulnerable as a Christ follower? Like maybe where do I need to build some strength? What do I need to be more aware of in this journey? This is the answer. Without a doubt, overcoming the lies in your mind, seeing them for what they truly are, calling them out and standing on the truth of Christ. That's the answer. And listen to me, this is taking place in the mind. It's taking place in the mind. This is so important because you know, we look around at our lives and, and what's so obvious to us are the circumstances in front of us, right? That's, that's so easily what we get caught up in. We see the pain and we see the loss and we see the obstacles in front of us. We get consumed by that, but understand what's working against you is never the situation in front of you. It's the lies in your mind. That's what's going on. Like, you know, you, could, you can never get past this circumstance in your life. It's just, man, it's too big for you. You're, you're overwhelmed, you're tired. Here's what you should probably do. Just give up. Just like throw in the towel. There's no way you're gonna make it through this. See, it's not even the circumstance in front of you. It's the lies in your mind. Right. Or, or maybe it's, you know, you're not good enough to accomplish what God has called you for. You're not good. I mean, I know it seems awesome. Like I know the vision is really cool, but here's the truth of the matter. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. You don't have enough support around you. It's not the circumstance. It's the lies in your mind. And the truth is I could go on and on and on and on with those examples because it literally plays out constantly in our lives. This is the narrative. We've, we've messed something up and believe the lie that we can't restore it. We've been hurt by someone or something and we believe the lie that God no longer cares about us. We've heard the promises of God on our life, yet, yet we believe the lie that they no longer apply to us. It's a constant narrative running through our minds that we very much need to be aware of. And there are two ways in particular that these lies seem to show up, okay? Two ways in particular that these things really seem to rise to the surface. And that is through our perspective and through our identity. These are the two ways that this most impacts us, through our perspective. And what I, what I mean when I say that is our outward view of things, how we see the world, how we see other people, and then our identity, how we look inward, how we see ourselves, who we think we truly are. And so let's talk about these two things for a moment and see if we can't maybe gain some understanding on how we can grow in this. So let's talk about the idea of perspective, okay? We've talked about this um, concept quite a bit around here. In fact, we've had an entire series on the idea of perspective because this is a huge, huge topic. The way that we view the things around us, the lens that we look through truly does determine so much of what we do and how we do it, right? It really is that important. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for this concept is most often translated as mindset. In fact, when you think about the idea of perspective, I would almost rather you think of it that way, to set or secure your mind on something. That's what we're talking about. And when it comes to this topic, this is something that the apostle Paul in particular has much to say about. And so let me read you a few of these examples, and I want you to really pay attention to what he is trying to say. Let's start in Colossians chapter three, verse one. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Listen to that. Set your mind on the things that are above. That should be your perspective. That should be your mindset. This is how he puts it in Romans eight, starting in verse five. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace." That is huge. That is huge. If we will set our minds on the things above, if we will set our minds on the Spirit, what lies ahead of us is life and peace. I don't know about you but that's what I want that's what I want to experience. See see we we don't realize how important the discipline of our mind truly is. In fact, we've we've allowed ourselves to just roam freely into every crack and crevice of thought including the places it ought not be and we don't realize the danger that ensues as a result. We don't even realize the lies that we're constantly believing. We we don't even realize the deception that's being caused. We don't realize the consequences that come from it. In fact, so many of us have taken this unintentional journey in our minds and, and we now find ourselves in a place full of doubt, in a place full of discouragement, in a place full of fear. That's where we find ourselves. We no longer believe what we should believe. We no longer see how we ought to see. We no longer stand on the hope of God in our lives. I need you to understand that that is no small thing. What we are talking about here is, is not trivial. It's, it's not a game. This is crucial for your life. This is something we need to be very serious about. In fact, watch how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Pay a close attention to just how strong his language is here. 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, We are destroying speculations. We're destroying them. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought, we're, we're taking it captive. Do you see the seriousness that he's speaking with? Do you see the intentionality that he's talking about? See, the truth is every thought that runs through your head is significant and applicable for your life. Every single thought. And so here's Paul's idea. Take every one of them captive to the obedience of Christ. Lay every one of them at the feet of Jesus. Make every one of them surrender to the sovereign creator of the universe. This is how disciplined we need to be with our minds. Think about that. Now, here's the cool thing about these words from Paul. We, we talk a lot about Paul around here. We read a lot about Paul in the New Testament and we see some really interesting things about him. He seems to be a, a pretty serious man. I think it would be fair to say that he was very passionate about God. He was all in on mission. In fact, I think you could even describe him as kind of stern and, and maybe even demanding at times. Again, I think that would be a fair description. And yet, I'm not sure there's anyone aside from Christ who is more hopeful and more optimistic throughout the entire Christian narrative. I'm not kidding you. This is my favorite thing about Paul, that he could give us these wise instructions on the church and direction on spiritual leadership and the dense theology and every single one of his writings. And yet he was so positive. I'm telling you, he was so optimistic. He was so immovable in his hope of the gospel. I mean, let's not forget, this is a man that wrote, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances, as he sits in prison. This is a man that, that wrote, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him as chains are on his wrist. This is a man who writes, be anxious for nothing as he's being attacked constantly by the Romans. It literally didn't matter what was happening in his life. He was not going to believe the lies in his mind. He wasn't gonna allow it to take him down. So he says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, can you just imagine for for so many of us, if we were in Paul's shoes, can you just imagine being in some of the situations he was in? Can you imagine just trying to be light in the world, right? I mean, he's trying to to spread goodness. He's trying to spread love. He's trying to spread the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's being attacked from every angle. He's he's being chased down. He's being arrested. He's being abandoned. Can you imagine the lies that we would believe in our heads? Can you imagine? This this is obviously not what God truly has for you. I mean, look around. Look around. Everything's going on. This is clearly not what he has for you. In fact, he's he's not even for you anymore. He's not even with you. In fact, nobody is. You're by yourself. You're abandoned. You have no love and no support. Honestly, can you imagine how negative you and I would be in his shoes. And see, this is one of the biggest ways that deception begins to creep in is through negativity, through negativity, keeping our eyes constantly on the bad things, keeping our focus constantly on the junk in our lives, ensuring that we see the downside of every action and of every outcome. This is how it begins to creep in. And it's like, man, how can you believe in the God of the Bible? How can you believe in all the things that it says about him and it says that he does? How can you believe that and live in constant negativity? How is that even possible? It's pretty simple, by believing the lies. By being consumed about what is not true about God. By being consumed about what is not true about his purpose for your life being consumed by what is not true about his people. That's how it happens. We believe the lies. And that last one is really, really important for us. Believing what is not true about his people because far too easily, we allow lies to take root in our minds as it relates to the people around us. Far too easily this happens. In fact, this is one of the biggest battles that we face on a day-to-day basis, allowing the lies to affect how we see people, how we treat people, how we relate to other people. So often we believe this stuff and it ends up tearing down our relationships. Like literally we look around, it's just crumbling before our feet because we're believing the lies. And whether you realize it or not, one of the quickest ways to tear you down is by tearing down your relationships. That's one of the quickest ways that you can be affected by this. See, this is why Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood. Now, I want to explain this real quick. I looked this up in the Greek, and this is actually imagery language. When it says put away falsehood, it literally has a picture of like taking off your coat and putting it aside, like taking off the coat of lies and just putting them down. They're no longer apart of who you are. He continues, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. May we be givers of grace. Verse 31, let all bitterness, listen closely, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Again, just take that coat off and put it down. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Now that last part is essential because do you see now how truth is beginning to drive the ship? See, what Paul is saying here is, hey, you you remember how Christ forgave you? Hey, do you you remember what he was willing to do for you and the lengths that he was willing to go to, to do this for you? Okay, let that be the driving force of your mind. Let that be the engine that drives your perspective. All of a sudden, it's the truth of Christ that is informing us, that is leading us, that is guiding us. This is the mindset that we must have in our lives. I'll just wrap up this section by by saying this. If this is something that you struggle with, and the truth of the matter is every single one of us do. If you struggle with your daily mindset, if you struggle with constant negativity, I wanna read two more scriptures from Paul. And, And not only do I want you to hear these things, I want you to write this down. I want you to put it on your refrigerator. I want you to put it on your phone, on your computer. I want you to be reminded of this every single day. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse seven. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can you just just picture that for a second? The peace of God, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so, verse eight, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, watch what he says, let your mind dwell on these things. Let him dwell on these things. See, so many of us allow our minds to dwell in the bad places. We allow ourselves to spin this narrative over and over and over again, that we're not enough, that he's not for us, that we don't know what we're doing. Let your mind dwell on these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is excellent, this is where our minds need to be, amen? Amen. Let's finish by talking about our identity because this is a huge, huge aspect of what we're talking about today and it's not just about understanding who you are, but, but it's also about securing yourself in who you are. Both of those things are of the utmost importance. In many ways, you really can't understand the correct perspective without first understanding your correct identity. You, you first have to be able to see yourself through the lens of God before you can really see anyone else or anything else in that same way. And, and while there are many scriptures that, that point us to our identity, all of which are worthy of study and proclamation, there's one in particular that always, always hits me in such a real way. And so I want to read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Man, i tell you, I could read that over and over again. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. I know that's one simple verse. And yet in many ways, it says everything about who we are in relation to God and in relation to his kingdom. It says everything. In fact, when I heard, when I had my first child, which is about four years ago now, I just remember holding her in my arms for the first time. I can envision just watching her grow and learn and and live her life. And it really changed everything for me and how I understand my identity in Christ. Because listen, I literally can't put into words how great a love I have for her. I, I literally can't put into words how much I think about her, how much I care about her, what I would be willing to do for her. I can't even put it into words. And so listen to me, when the Bible says things like this about you, that's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. It says it because it's true. You are a child of the living God. And sometimes we just need to try to wrap our arms around that that that's how he sees us, that that's how he looks at us. I was just sitting there this week trying to think about how I could really just bring this home. Like, how can I really get them to, to understand this? And I was going through all these metaphors and all these stories and all these images that I could conjure up to try to really bring this home. And honestly, I just, I kept falling short. It's like, I, I couldn't I couldn't find something that was really getting where I needed to go. And even at one point, I honestly started to get a little frustrated. I'm like, I gotta gotta know what I'm gonna say. And it was almost immediately, suddenly scripture after scripture after scripture just began rolling in my head about who I am in Christ, about my true identity. And so here's how I wanna bring this home. I wanna simply read through some of these verses that speak directly to your identity. But here's the key. I don't want you guys to just hear these. Listen, I I don't want you to just hear this and think, oh, that's, that's really cool, that's really nice. I want you to like soak this into your soul. I want this to like resonate within you. And here's what I ultimately want you to do. I want you to believe it. I want you to know that this is the truth about you. And so I'm gonna read through these slowly. And I want you to just hang on every single word that is spoken. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Ephesians 2, eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? 2 Corinthians 12.9, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Romans eight thirty seven. but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. John eight thirty six. so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed listen closely if you have been believing anything else about yourself if there is any other narrative running through your mind call it what it is a lie it's an accusation against who you truly are and Christ you don't have to believe it don't believe it and if you have been stop believing it Stop believing that you're not enough. Stop believing that that you're weak. Stop believing that he's not for you. Stop believing that you've gone too far and your sin is too great for him to cover. Stop, just stop believing it. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to close our eyes. Right now, I want us to reach the throne of God because every one of us struggles in this area. Every single one of us, we've been clinging on to lies that don't line up with who we truly are. And we find ourselves weak and discouraged and fearful and doubtful. And I believe here today those things can be broken. I believe here today, through the Holy Spirit, those things can come crashing down. Heavenly Father, right now, right now, I pray that you would make the lies In our minds so obvious to us right now. The things we've been holding on to, the things we've been clinging to that aren't true, God, just light them up that we can see them. And then I pray as quickly as we see them, that you would tear them down. As quickly as we realize what we've been believing, Break it down. Shatter the lies in our lives. Shatter the deception. Lord, I don't know who you're speaking to right now. I don't know. But I believe that you're to change somebody's perspective. You're wanting to change somebody's outlook. At the very least, you're, you're wanting them to start a new journey into truth, into life, into peace.